Hello and welcome to another Climate Crisis Conversation. I'm Verity Sharp. It's the beginning of October. We've had a couple of global climate strikes now called by the youth movement. We also saw Greta Thunberg give that amazing speech um, in front of the UN. So the youth voice is really, really strengthening now. But for this episode of the podcast, we just wanted to pick apart this um, kind of backlash against that which seems to be going on. There are some very vitriolic voices out there who are criticising children and just trying to undo what they're doing all across social media and in the national and international press. So I'm going to talk with psychotherapist Caroline Hickman, who does all sorts of work talking directly to children, and she kind of wants to put herself between them and these kinds of um, abhorrent attacks. But before we pressed record, she got out her phone just to show me some footage of the global climate strike that was going on in Afghanistan which was amazing. So I got her to describe that first. So this is a group of young people in Afghanistan on a march, on a Fridays for Future march uh, with banners. Um, And it's a mixture of young people, different ages, boys and girls. And they're out there together walking the streets, but they've got armed guards on walking on both sides of them, Mm. carrying guns, wearing full body armour, um, because they're putting their lives on the line. They're at risk by going out on the street and protesting about their future. And I just, you know, every time I watch it, I, I almost can't quite believe the, their courage um, and their passion and their belief and their determination to have their voices heard. Yeah. yeah but this, when you th- also think about their war-torn country and the kind of yeah. future that they've been facing possibly up until this point, you know, because yeah. the world seems to be waking up. And now and there's a chap on that film saying, you know, blow the war. Ah, We're yeah. all now facing disaster. Absolutely. And they really frame it that way, don't they? They really see this as a global issue. And it's their capacity for empathy and compassion to the rest of us. You know, they could easily kind of be sitting there saying, well, actually, we've got enough problems of our own. Thank you very much. You know, you know, the rest of the world is going to have to deal with this. But they're out on the streets caring about climate change and the climate emergency is a global issue. And it's not just about the impact on themselves. Um, and I think that is a marked contrast, if you like, to some of the kind of, uh, I'm going to use, you know, psychotherapy language here for a second, but this kind of narcissistically entitled reactions that we can sometimes get from a lot of adults, not all, uh, but a lot of adults who kind of think, well, actually, I'm okay, so I'm not going to, you know, we're okay here, we live on high land, or we've got food, or we're going to be all right. Um, And they may not come out and say, you know, forget the rest of the world. But I wonder if that's kind of behind them Mm -hmm. saying, well, Mm -hmm. we're all right. It's not happening here yet. Yeah. Um, Well, let's let's unpick a bit of that later. Yeah. Where were you then on Global Climate Strike Day, the first ever? Were you on the streets? I was. Yeah. I was. Um, I was at the University of Bath. Uh Uh, We had a, we walked out and we had a, you know, talks on campus. So I was there and then I went down to the streets of Bath. 
Um, and then I had to go over to Bristol. So I went down and joined the, the talks and, and the things in Bristol. The kids were all out. And the kids, honestly, were incredible. Yeah. All ages. And fantastic banners with wit and humour. Um, with like Save the Turtles, you know, which kind of half read as Save the Tories, which was quite amusing. Um, and, <laughs> you know, the yeah. kids were kind of engaging the kids. I shouldn't say kids. Sorry. Apologies. The young people. The young people, children and young people yeah. were, you know, all engaging with it at the level that was appropriate for them. So there were young children as well as mature children and teenagers. And uh, I mean, yeah. what I love seeing is that mix yeah. because it's a shared concern, but they can kind of get involved in their own way. So for some of them, it was kind of the bike ride. For others, they got involved in the talks. Others had made the banners. Some of the very young children I know from talking with the parents in Bristol, they had a preschool strike where they stood, they had a sort of picket line, uh, and then they went into school. And they went into school for the morning, and then the parents went to pick them up and took them down to Bristol to College Green. And then they went back into school. So a lot of parents I've been talking to worked really hard to make sure their children could get involved, mm. but also kind of not take over the whole day. Yeah, yeah. What, that's what, the thing. what were you doing? So we went Where to Salisbury, um, which was small. It was a small march, actually. So I think we were slightly when first when we first arrived in the Market Square. In fact, there was barely anybody in the oh. Market Square. And so we kind of rocked up with our, you know, our, our banner and, and kind of, kind of you know, packed lunch. And... Uh, uh, but then we're told that there was a funeral march, so they'd they'd started somewhere else in the oh. city. So that was a great sort of relief. But even then, it, it was quite well. But the passion in the the uh, the young people who were there, the students who were there, was just I just I was walking on air afterwards actually. Yeah. But I was I I was disappointed that more adults hadn't come out because that was the whole point, it wasn't was. it? It's come on everybody. Yeah, we're really trying here. Yeah, um, and kids might not be able, to, you know, young people might not be able to to take the day off school for all sorts of reasons. Um, but we could have, there could have been a better show from us adults. I thought. I I agree, and it was. I think it was really important that this was the first time they invited us to join them. Exactly. Um, and I thought that was important. And it, it's also about healing that intergenerational rift that is starting to appear sometimes where the children and the young people have got their arguments and their voices and you can hear adults kind of, almost the backlash, as you mentioned at the start, sort of dismissing them or minimising them. So absolutely, mm. I was frustrated and didn't understand. And, and I know a lot of the young people I've spoken with since don't understand and they get quite confused and puzzled not only by the lack of support from some adults other adults were out there absolutely but there's a confusion about why aren't people listening to us when actually what we're talking about is so obvious and so rational how could you argue against this you know and Greta Thunberg is really clear isn't she and she keeps coming back to listen to the science listen to the science so that's all she ever says all, it's brilliant it is so important that she doesn't construct her own arguments because then she would make it about her exactly so she's very smart she's really saying you know the evidence is there um so it and I, I struggle. So young people are asking me, well, why don't adults pay attention? Why aren't adults acting? And why aren't they supporting us? And they're puzzled. And But they're not just puzzled, they're distressed. And, you know, people worry about 
eco-anxiety in children and they worry about the impact of all of this on children. And you'll have seen that in some areas there's some arguments that actually going on those school strikes and talking about eco-anxiety is actually causing the eco-anxiety. Um, I'm having to be very calm as I say this because it's such an absurd argument. So, you know, there are all sorts of kind of backlash arguments being developed, all of which I think are ways to try and silence children's voices. Mm. And but silence... why would anybody want to silence children's voices, especially ah, at this point in time? Ah, well, now, I think we've got to take that two ways, right? So first and foremost, we've got to say uh, it's not OK. And the adults who are doing that, and particularly the adults, and they know who they are, and we know who they are. I'm not naming them here. Particularly those that are using especially derogatory, manipulative, destructive language and are being misogynist and patronising. And these are people that have got national press at their disposal, aren't they? That they can disseminate their hideous messages nationwide. I mean, it's utterly despicable. And internationally, yeah. You know, so national, absolutely, international, yep. And they're t- they're distorting children's distress and mocking it and taking a cheap shot at these children to shame them, I think, really, and treat them in this way that says, you know, you're of no value, you're of no importance, you have no agency, of course I'm not going to listen to you. You know, we've heard it. We've been hearing it for months, you know, when Greta Thunberg was first in the UK. There were some MPs in the UK Parliament that said things like, well, yes, Greta, when I was 16, I thought I knew it all as well. So it started at that level. But it's got worse. And some of the narrative now is frankly, you know, borderline, you know, criminal, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and really exposes some of these people in terms of their attitude, particularly to young people and children and women. So it's frankly misogynist. Um, But you say they want to shame them. They do, I think. But what is it that makes those people want to even do that? What is it about... Mm. Because it is men, let's face it, I, I think, pretty much exclusively that what I've seen. But, you know... A lot of it. Um, it. It's something... I mean, are they just major climate deniers that are now living possibly in much more of a minority than they ever were? Or, I don't know, is it power? Is it, is it something, some deep thing that you would pick out as a psychotherapist that you... There's yeah. something sort of wrong with them, <laughs> with the way that they think. <laughs> it would, yep, yep. Let's just say yes. You know, um, it, we need we need to. Much as I sometimes don't want to spend too much time analysing and understanding them, I want to also, in this conversation, think about the impact on the young people. But let's go there for a minute. Let's go and have a look and kind of wander about in their world and try and empathise and understand their psyche. Because it's a form of abuse. I mean, it is a verbal abuse of children. It's, It's emotional and it's mental abuse because they're denying the reality and the distress of these young people. Um... And they're they're deliberately doing it. You can see I'm struggling to find my words and not just go on a Twitter rant, which I kind of keep getting very tempted to do. Mm. They're doing I also think it's quite deliberate. 
I think it's a strategic move to undermine the message of the young people and to confuse other people. So it's a kind of false reporting as well. And because so do you they, think there's people coming together to make that happen in a kind of conspiracy theory kind of way? Yeah, of course. Seriously? Yeah, yeah no, I do. I think it's a, there's a kind of collective denial and then there's individual denial. So let's, let's give them a bit of airtime and actually try and analyse them uh, for free. Um, and then let's talk about the impact on the young people. Um, so every time I hear, so I, I, I said to you before we started that, you know, I've got some translations of their messages um, and I've been going through these with young people. So whenever you hear an adult say they're just kids, then we can translate that and understand what's going on. And I, I'll explain a bit more about the analysis in a minute, but let me give you the examples. Um, so really, we should be hearing them say I'm scared and secretly ashamed that children have more moral courage than me, right? So whenever you hear an adult say they should be in school, by the way, the they-ing, the othering of these children, it's a very interesting psychological move that we make. As soon as we call any group they, it means we're othering them. And that means that we give permission to dismissing them. And it it actually legitimizes treating them as less than human and less important. Mm. So as soon as you hear the language they, you know you're in trouble. So they should be in school. Uh, really, translate means I'm scared and angry that you, children, are making me look at this. If you hear them say, you don't understand how complex it is. You know, if people kind of go for this kind of patronizing, you know, you're just kids. Really, let's translate as, I'm scared. There's a theme <laughs> developing, right? I'm scared and just want it all to go away. If you see the criticisms, and I, I love these, Greta doesn't show enough emotion, okay? Then you can just translate that as, I'm scared. If you see the criticism of Greta shows too much emotion, because the girl can't win, can she? Then really, let's translate that as, I can't bear to see children's pain. It makes me feel inadequate. It makes me feel bad. They're making me feel things I don't want to feel. Mm. So I'm going to make myself feel better and get rid of my bad feelings by saying she's crazy. Right. It's a really neat yeah, move, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Then you hear, can I just do one more? Yeah, can on. And then, you know, I want to do one of my favourites. So um, <laughs> I've been saving this one. It's fabulous. So if you hear people saying, oh, it's not that bad, really. You know, the government or the people in power or somebody will fix it. You should go back to school and be, you know, where you should belong. Then if it's not that bad, really, what you should translate that one as is, well, it's not that bad here yet. But I don't care about the rest of the world. Mm. But I can't say that and seem like an okay human being. So I know I'm going to minimise it and hope that everyone just gets busy trying to persuade me with facts and figures. It's a red herring. It's a smokescreen. And it's a perfect distraction. And then I can avoid admitting that I just don't give a rat's thingy mm. about the rest of the world. Because mm. nobody's going to come out and say... Well, I don't care about the rest no, of the world. Right, right. Because that would make them seem absolutely horrible. So they're going to construct these kind of arguments. Now, it is really important to, to kind of say at this point that people may not all be consciously sitting there calculating this and deciding that this is what's going on. It's not always conscious, but it is 
what I think is going on unconsciously under the surface and gives us some understanding of why the attacks and the vitriol and the language being used towards the youth climate strikers is so absurd and disproportionate. Because what they're doing is they're triggering this emotional reaction in adults who are in denial. So the adults are in denial. They don't want to look at this stuff. It's painful. It's scary. Not only do they not always... I'm, I'm doing it here, right? Sorry. I'm veying them. So not only do we not always want to look at climate change and the climate emergency, because as you and I know, we've talked about this, it's scary. It makes us feel upset. It's understandable that people don't always want to engage with those painful feelings. So what we then do is we push that away If we're in complete denial at that point, what we'll do is look for someone to blame Mm. and we'll push it and blame it onto someone else and wish they would go away. That's a really strong denial. You and I are more likely to sometimes just think, oh, I just can't cope and I just need, you know, a night at home thinking about something else. You know, so we might just push it slightly out of awareness for a short time. It's the same process, but we're not going to then look for someone to blame. Because we're, we've kind of engaged with this emotionally more personally. We're more aware of how we feel. We're aware of our, We've talked about this. You and I are both aware of our anxiety and both aware of our fears. We're both aware of that sometimes we can feel rage. Sometimes we can feel despair. Sometimes we can feel grief. So because we've got this, this ability to kind of touch those feelings of our own, it means that we will own it we will allow ourselves we give permission to ourselves to feel that and we're not going to then hate the young people for making us feel this it's not coming out of the blue and what we're able to do much more is appreciate the young people Mm. for helping us to reconnect with those feelings for feeling that sense of community for feeling that compassion for reminding us of what's most important so because we're aware of those mixed feelings of our own, we're able to get alongside the young people and then stand with them, stand Mm -hmm. alongside Mm -hmm. them. I know I sometimes want to get in between them and these uh, attackers, and I do, it's my instinct, but I also don't want to patronise them because they can stand up for themselves. Sure, sure, but in all your work, because you have a lot of conversations with children. Sure. And and young people. So what what are the sort of things that they've said when they've come across this sort of Mm. vitriol? Well, to be honest, a lot of the time they get quite upset because it hurts. And I think it's really important that they say that it hurts because it's really upsetting and painful to tell someone, let alone the world, how you feel and have anyone, let alone the world, say to you, well, you shouldn't feel that way. And if you do feel that way, it's because you're crazy or you're exaggerating or you're making too much of this. So it's a horrific dismissal and denial. And and it's compounded by the kind of really cruel narrative. And we saw a phenomenal example of this with Donald Trump after Greta Thunberg's speech at the UN, which, as, as you said, Verity, was powerful and it was heartfelt and it was emotional. And it was one of the first times she's really shown yeah. that those feelings. Yeah. She's been very calm and composed up until now, which a lot of people have criticised her for. She can't win. But they've criticised her because it's as if she hasn't got any feelings. So 
she showed her feelings there in that speech to the UN. And I felt that and saw that and read that and heard that as a desperate attempt to get through to us, to show us her feelings, to get through our denial and our apathy and our selfishness and to take those feelings seriously. If someone opens their heart to you in front of you and is vulnerable and incredibly powerful in that moment when they do that, but so vulnerable that they show you that despair and distress, the worst thing we could do is tell them they shouldn't be feeling that way. And what he did was far worse than that. He not only ignored her, but then he tweeted that she looked like a very happy girl looking forward to a bright future, which I'm not sure if I can quite find the words really without Mm. swearing, but, Mm. you know, it was an absolute double denial. It was a, you know, it was a complete dismissal Mm. of what she showed and her vulnerability. She, of course, had this phenomenal response to it where I don't know if you saw what she did, but she changed her Twitter profile to put that on her Twitter profile. So she threw it right back at him. Brilliant. Brilliant. Phenomenal, Mm. phenomenal response. Mm. But, you know, that stuff, I know that's clever and I know that's funny and I'm I'm so in awe of how quick-witted she is and how able she was to kind of turn that back on him without being aggressive because that's that's the other thing is you don't want to react Mm -hmm. to that stuff. And I, as adults, you know, as you and me sitting here, we've got to also, I think, acknowledge how much that, that stuff hurts. Absolutely. And I mean, Greta obviously is getting a lot of uh, practice in a way mm. at, at this, isn't she? But mm. and I mean, I understand that you don't want to spend time looking at the reasons why people do it, but maybe that's a quite a useful tool Mm. for people who aren't coming across this so much you know I'm just thinking of those kids in Salisbury I mean Mm. luckily I don't think there was was any animosity but we were on another climate march recently you know just blocking the traffic in the local high street that kind of thing and you get these people shouting at you you know and if you're somebody um, of of any age but if you're uh, putting yourself out there as a student and you know you're not getting the sort of profile that Greta or you know, you have very little armour. And yeah. so things like this kind of thing are thinking, mm. OK, so what is it? Mm. Even though they might be the president of the United States, what is it that, that makes them do that? And I think you're, you know, the thing about seeing them as just very scared people who aren't in touch with their feelings mm. is, is incredibly useful I, way of um, batting it back. I agree. And and I think it's also really, you know, you're right. And I I think it's also so so long as we are, we keep some balance between examining them and what they're doing as well as talking about the impact on the children then we're good right mm. so long, as long as we keep that balance otherwise we're giving them too much too attention much, yeah, and it's taking us away from the young people so you and I just have to keep an eye on that and make sure that we kind of keep that in balance I mean but thank you for saying that I think it's really helpful and what we also really kind of have to remember is why these um, adults are getting triggered in this way. So, OK, I think for some of them it is a calculated conscious response to demean and belittle and minimise the children's voices. And I think that's part of a kind of cultural uh, attitude often that we meet towards, you know, denying the value of children and children's voices and denying them agency and not actually taking them seriously. But I think there are other things being triggered here and I think that can also give us some explanation where people are not so conscious and calculated about it. So, you know, not everyone who is being triggered by these children is deliberately being 
you know, horrible towards these children. But what's being evoked or triggered in them is really painful feelings when they listen to what the children are saying or when they look at what the children are showing. So if we can understand what's being triggered in these adults, then we can also have more empathy and compassion. And we need some empathy and compassion for adults that are attacking these children. We need to tell them to stop, but we also need some empathy and compassion around that. So, you know, what else is being triggered is their own anxieties, right? So we can talk about their eco-anxiety is being triggered. The children are waking them up to the fact they should be scared. So instead of going, oh, the kids, the kids, we keep doing this, don't we? The children, (laughs) oh, the children have got a really, really good point. We should listen to the children. You know, that's a mature response, right? That's an emotionally mature response. Instead of that response, some people are making that response. Fantastic. Others are going, you know, it's horrible, it's horrible. And the anxiety is overwhelming them. And to get rid of that anxiety, what they do is project that out onto the children and they see the children as the problem. And they think if the child would go away and go back to school and be good, then I would feel okay again. So they're trying to make regulate their own emotion by getting rid of the child. And actually, they've got to regulate their own emotion. It's also triggering rage. So it's triggering the children and young people are triggering a mix of really painful feelings in us all. Anxiety, eco-anxiety, rage, but also grief. And the, the real kicker is shame. Because what these children are saying is, you've done this, right? Your generation has created this. Your generations before you have created this. We haven't created this. You need to now step up and get alongside us and deal with this. Mm. And that's what part of what Greta was saying in that UN speech. So there was a lot of language about betrayal and abandonment. She was speaking um, about children feeling betrayed and abandoned by adults and by older generations. She was speaking to shame the older generations quite deliberately. Um, she And she used this language, didn't she? You've stolen my dreams and my childhood. You've stolen my dreams and my childhood. I mean, that's unbearable really for us to hear, mm. to hear that it's stolen. And what people are doing is going, no, I haven't. Go away. Don't be ridiculous. Go away, little girl. Because that is horrific. If we let ourselves feel that shame and that guilt and that horror of having done this to these generations of children, then we have to find a way to tolerate that shame and that guilt and process it and not throw it back at them to make ourselves feel better. She also really deliberately used language of if you choose to fail us, mm. right? Oh, I'm, I was so, I was dancing around the kitchen when I heard her say that. <laughs> I was like, yes, 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 you, the perfect language. If you choose to fail us, what she's doing is calling us out and saying, you're making choices here. Wake up, stand up, grow up, get a grip, get real. And you are making choices every day which impact on the climate emergency. And, you know, she wanted to wake us up to the shame. And she was right to do so, because unless we can feel that shame, we will not take action mm. in the way mm. we need to take it. Now, one of the problems with shame is it can, we can get triggered into a kind of 
toxic shame, where we're overwhelmed by shame and we become shamed of our humanity, shamed of our imperfection, shamed of the fact we're still driving, shamed of flying. There was something in the Guardian newspaper, I think, this morning about flight shaming is starting to have an impact. So, you know, people have for a long time around climate change tried to stay away from narratives of shame and panic because of the worry, understandably, that people would react against it. And as soon as you try to shame someone, they just want to get rid of you. We're all walking, walking around with plenty of shame. Thank you very much. You know, we don't want to be woken up to even more. So it's understandable that people want to push it away. But what Greta is doing and the youth climate strikers are doing is quite rightly trying to wake up adults to being shamed enough. That, um, to enough to act. Yeah, enough guilt to act, but not toxic guilt and shame. You know, you and I personally, Verity, you know, have not caused all of this, right? But there are actions we've taken, there are choices we've made in our lives up to this point. So it's about us kind of owning that and facing it. And I know from sitting with uh, young people, when with Sophia and Martha, actually, when doing those podcasts with them and with the other young people that I'm working with, every single time I meet with them, I, I sit with them and I say, I'm sorry, you know, we got this wrong. And... It's it's important to say I'm sorry and not say and not defend myself and go, well, you know, I didn't cause this all by myself. You know, it's important not to defend against that, because actually that's my bit of shame that I need to mm. own and vocalize and vocalize to them. Absolutely. And say, sorry. Oh, I'll, I'm on a rant. I'll shut up in a minute and let you back in. But um, really beautifully, Every single time these young people have turned around to me, looked me in the eye and said, OK, thank you. OK. Um, first of all, sometimes they've gone, oh, no, don't be ashamed. I think that's them trying to take care of my feelings. And so I've sort of said it again and said, no, actually, it's important that I do say this. And then they've said, OK, thanks. And then they've gone, OK, great. Thanks. OK, thanks. Feel the shame. Say sorry. Now, can you get over it? Yeah, and, and put yourself to some good use, and and get out there and yeah. do something yeah. with that. Yeah. And I and I think that's a beautiful response. Yeah, yeah. Because we should not. And I don't want to use really pejorative, horrible language, but we shouldn't indulge too much of that shame as adults. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to say sorry. It's okay to grieve. We must grieve, and not shame ourselves in that process, and not shame others in that process. It's, these are really important transformative emotions that can move us into different relationships with ourselves and with these young people. But they're quite right to say, don't overdo it. Mm. Now, get up, get out there and, you know, get on the streets with mm. us mm. and help us in any way possible. So actually, the children are kind of doing us a favour because they're showing us ways to process unbearable feelings and to emotionally grow and deepen ourselves. And to, um, you know, take these opportunities to heal intergenerational rifts and pain and form partnership with these young people, I think. And I know that, that if I'm having a rotten day for whatever reason, I know that makes me feel better too. There's so much in there to... to <laughs> to think about and to absorb, Caroline, and obviously mm. it's your world and you're very used to putting these things into these incredibly eloquent phrases um, and then to uh, actually sort of relate, you know, people are kind of trying to relate to all this personally, aren't they, and mm. then live through it and then come back to all these things. And it is 
I mean, I've found it, you know, it, it is incredibly hurtful. I mean, I'm just a very sensitive person, so anybody says anything hurtful to me, I just dissolve anyway. But <laughs> with something as important as this, and I mean, I live in a really small village and we're sort of rolling out the whole um, XR, you know, leaflets and we're putting them through people's doors. And, mm. and that, oh, even doing that just... It just brings up because what I don't want is confrontation, mm. really. I mean, who likes confrontation? Mm. We want to live in a world where everybody's living in harmony, don't we? And kind of agreeing. But we don't really because that would just be boring. Um, so it's the ability to actually to master language to talk to people and mm. not to just burst into tears when somebody's the polar opposite view of what you're saying. Mm. Um, and I just, you know, all these sorts of things that you're saying are, are very useful ways of I mean, wouldn't it be great if somebody did come up with a really cutting comment to your face to just to say to them, why are you so scared? Yes. You know, can, I, can I just yeah. can I help you? Mm. <laughs> mm. So all of that really needs mm. absorbing. But I think, you know, we've talked a lot today. There's a lot to, for people to kind of um, think about. But I think it's really uh, useful. And I know you've come across this amazing song on Twitter. And we think we should put the, um, the children, young people's voices back into what we're talking about here. Because um, you've had some quite amazing comments you know, said to you as well, haven't you? Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's brilliant that we're talking about this as uh, more or less grown-ups. So I think we're more or less grown-up, aren't we? I don't feel like one, but we're I supposed know, to be. that's the problem, mm. isn't it? Well, let's just say partly grown-up and not elsewhere. Um, and let's, yes, because I don't want to do this for the children. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, thinking how to talk to children about these things. And I just think we need to be not only talking with children, but also listening yeah, absolutely. to children. As we have been with the podcast. I mean, with Sophia yeah. and Martha's podcasts, you know, and, you know, yeah. it's really brilliant to hear what they're saying. Oh, and, and, you know, when I listen to that, mm. I'm not the adult there. I mean, I just feel so immature. They're great, aren't they? Yeah. They're great. And I know in the news last week, people had this great comment about how come the children are, are, are behaving like grown-ups and the grown-ups are reacting and behaving like children and I thought that was beautiful yeah, it was yeah. just such a lovely inverse and it summarised some of what was going on mm. this kind of triggering this sort of infantile rage in adults you know um, so no we need to have some young people's voices back in here at the end and we've certainly got this amazing song that uh, that we came across but I also want to just give a few comments from some of the young people in the Maldives um, because I think hearing their voices this is a particularly silenced marginalised group of young people who um, don't feel that they can have a school strike they don't feel that they can speak out why? It would be difficult politically, it would be difficult culturally for them. So they said they didn't feel they could. Mm -hmm. But um, you were out there with them? I was out there talking to them and we talked about why they felt they couldn't do that. Um, I mean, I think things may change. They may get more support to do that. But certainly at this point, they felt supported by me sitting talking to them about it and then coming back to report on their voices and mm -hmm. how they feel. And what they think. Um, I think there's children in Afghanistan were extraordinarily courageous, and I'm. But I know that there are other communities of children and young people around the world, who for them it's still too difficult culturally, 
and socially to speak out, particularly in very small communities, because there would be shame collectively. This is partly what they said to me. I'm trying to be careful in how I answer that question, because it's a really good question that you asked, and I want to answer it, but I don't want to answer it in a way that will get them into hot water. One of one of the things we talked about was that they will, would be worried about their families being shamed mm. because they're out on the streets. And the, that cultural, social, family shame stopped them from doing those things because it's a generational difficulty God. and that parents wouldn't understand. And <clears throat> they, it's not so much that they would be physically punished or anything as severe as that but the the emotional mm. silencing and punishing and the need to conform was really really strong and they talked a lot actually about the impact of that on their mental health and how difficult it is to navigate that and yet they had clear strong views and opinions and attitudes and so we talked about how I could be helpful in trying to verbalize that for them and get that voice heard for them. And in that case, I don't feel I'm being patronising. I think we were just kind of, it was a good way to do this. So they were saying things to me like, you know, why don't some people care? And they just watched that morning, uh, people in Iceland have a funeral for a glacier. So they'd been online and watched that that morning in August. And they thought that was a beautiful ritual and a really valuable thing to do. But it broke my heart because... I had met them that afternoon and they sat there saying, well, you know, who's going to have a funeral for us? You know, how come people in the West will have a funeral for a glacier and care about a glacier? Why don't they care about us? Right. I, 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 you know, they these young people were able to connect with that grief and then say to me, the age for taking the environment for granted is long past. Globally, it all now, now needs to be about the future. It needs to be about the children and the young people. You need to listen to us. So they were able to engage with those complex feelings of grief and feeling abandoned, to be honest, by the rest of the world. Another child said to me that day, um, you know... Because they're speaking about grief and they're speaking about an understanding of the destructive aspect of what it means to be human. They don't think we're all destructive. They think part of us is destructive. And they saw this clearly. One young person said, climate change is like the Avengers endgame. Now, uh, you know, I'm old (laughs) as far as they're concerned. So they had to explain this cultural reference to me, um, which was fun. And, you know, they loved that. It took a while. But anyway, some of the listeners may understand this immediately. I didn't. I was like, whoa, what's that? Mm. So they explained it. They said the Avengers Endgame is a film in which uh, Thanos, who is this figure, wants to kill off half the life in the universe so the other half could thrive. So they said climate change is like Thanos. The ideology is to kill off half-life in the universe so the other half could thrive, but we are the half being killed off. God. Yeah. Yeah. It astonishes me that they could see that. They could Mm. use that imagery and that visualisation and that story to Mm. communicate their deep grief and pain. Um, And they didn't hate me. 
And they didn't hate us out here in the West. And they didn't blame us. But they held that pain and grief and said, do something, you know, do something. Um, They had an understanding. And I I would want people to understand that this isn't about children fantasizing about the apocalypse. This isn't children, you know, having, you know, nightmares and dreams. This is children having a depth of understanding of what's happening out there Mm -hmm. and finding a way to contain that complex feelings and not splitting into either you know apocalypse or you know rescue and you know we've we've called this podcast series you know catastrophe or transformation haven't we and for me that's what these children were talking about is that if we could hear them there was something transformative in that and that but they were willing to speak about catastrophe because they're facing catastrophe their country will be underwater but there was also the possibility and it's not either or there's also that possibility of something transformative coming out of that globally um so mm-hmm. so you know my job as far as i'm concerned right now is to help their voices get heard yeah. and to help us in turn understand yeah. how to process that stuff and we want to finish with this Amazing song from Jacob and his brother, who we're going to have to add his name in later because I can't <laughs> remember it. I'm really sorry. Um, because children are finding creative ways to speak about this. And I know when I asked Jacob if we could use his song on the podcast, he emailed me back and he said, yes, that would be wonderful. And he said, and this is just so touching. He said, anything that I can do that could help get the message across. He said, would be wonderful. So this young man was not thinking, oh, I'm going to get famous, right? He was thinking, oh, fantastic, an opportunity to get the message across. Mm. So this is, I want to just really finish with that recognition that these children and young people amazingly are not just doing it to save themselves or save the turtles. They're doing this to save future generations of children. And they are empathetically very tuned into that. Um, So, you know, we need to learn from that. Thanks, Caroline. Thank you.
So that's Jacob, aged 12, James, aged 8, and collectively they're calling themselves the J-Cub with their very, very clear message in that song, Emergency. My thanks to Caroline Hickman. Climate Crisis Conversations, Catastrophe or Transformation is a podcast produced by the Climate Psychology Alliance in association with Parity Audio. I'm Verity Sharp. See you soon. Thank you.